0: Well, thanks to everyone who has participated up to this point. Gwen for reading, and Justin, your prayer. We didn't coordinate this, we didn't plan this, but uh, your prayer fits right into the sermon. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, thanks for doing that. And uh, I just want to say a special thank you to Samuel and his family, and Jin Park for building our sign as we continue to build our stable. Jin, thank you for all that you do around the church. I know you do it in quietness and uh, you do it behind the scenes. So I just want to publicly say thank you for all that. We are looking toward Advent. We're in the middle of Advent, and this is the second Sunday. And uh, we are going to be looking today at peace as we explore the character of Joseph. Christmas, of course, is a time of list making. I hope you've made your list and checked it twice. Um, I'm on the nice list, by the way, in your books, I hope. And uh, it's also the inevitable time of reordering those lists as we begin to realize that we can't have it all and we can't do it all. And so we need to prioritize what's going to be the most important. And that's an important exercise that we need to do. Well, Advent is a time of anticipation as we wait and prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And the invitation in that is actually also to prioritize our lives to reorder our lives around the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you've thought of it that way. Uh, As we are followers of Jesus, as we profess to follow Jesus, that what we're actually saying is that we're willing to reorder our lives around him. The image that comes to mind, even as I'm speaking today, is when you have a room in the house and you're really big into decorating you'll find a centerpiece in the house. Maybe it's the fireplace. And the fireplace is going to be the centerpiece and you're going to reorder all the furniture around that centerpiece because it's the highlight. Well, I think we're called, if we're followers of Jesus, to reorganize, to reorder our lives around Jesus as the centerpiece. Jesus is not the sideshow, he's not the afterthought, he's not the one that we pull out when we want to look respectable to the public, he's the centerpiece. And so we're invited during Advent to reorder our lives around the birth of Jesus. I said this last week, the birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event in all of history, and we see it in the lives of those who were closest to the story as we read it in the Bible. So last week, we looked at Simeon. Simeon was this great guy. I still, I don't have a figure yet to put on our manger scene, but I'm going to do it. Simeon was this great guy who was waiting with integrity for the coming of the Messiah. His whole life, he was waiting. And generations before him were waiting. He was waiting in what we'd call in Greek, chronos time. The seconds that tick by, the appointments in our calendars. But then God came and interrupted his Chronos with a Kairos moment, a God moment. As it says in Galatians chapter 4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And Simeon got to hold that son. That's an amazing thing to me. Simeon wasn't some great man. He, I don't even think he was a priest. We know nothing about him. He gets to hold God's son. That's a Kairos moment. That's a moment in In time that God gives. And that's my hope that over this Advent season, you'll have those moments in time when God comes to you in a special way and you realize the special character of it. Well, there's another character that was massively impacted by the birth of Jesus. And that person is Joseph. And we're going to think a little bit about his story. Christine and I uh, used to work together And I know for some spouses, that's a nightmare, even to think about it. Um, But for Christy and I, we loved it. Uh, We worked together at White Rock Baptist Church. She was the administrative coordinator and I was the youth pastor many moons ago. (laughs) At this point, it feels like uh, another lifetime ago. Uh, But we worked together and we loved it. We had, I had an office upstairs. Her office was downstairs. It was a large church. We had a dog. His name was Robert the Bruce. Braveheart was a big thing back then. So anyway, Robert the Bruce used to run between our offices, and uh, the youth used to call my dog Puddles. There was a reason for that, but we won't get into it right now. So uh, we loved working together, but then I moved on. I went uh, back to school to study, and then I went out church planting. And so I came back to the church. Christine was there for over 12 years, in the administrative position and i came back to the church to preach one sunday and the person that was introducing me didn't introduce me as the former youth pastor didn't introduce me as the now current church planter of their church plant he introduced me as christine's husband which is awesome (laughs) people are clapping. I loved it because I love being Christine's husband. So that's a good thing. But it was just so interesting. Well, Joseph is introduced to us in the same way, not as Christine's husband, but Joseph, if you read the end of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, he's introduced as the husband of Mary. What an interesting thing to do, especially given the time, given the culture, given what was happening. And the head of the house and that whole kind of idea. Joseph is introduced to us as Mary's husband. I want you to think about that and explore it perhaps as we come to this character of Joseph. Joseph had a plan though. His plan was to marry Mary so they could all be Mary. Isn't English wonderful, Samuel? It's just a fantastic language to learn. But uh, he planned to marry Mary. But as Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, Joseph didn't get punched in the mouth, but he got kind of punched in the gut because he suddenly found out, to his surprise and maybe shock, that Mary was pregnant. Like, put yourself in Joseph's position at this point. So then Joseph made a new plan. Uh, He was agile and he adapted well, so he made a new plan. He would divorce her but not make a public spectacle of it. That was his new plan. But to his surprise, an angel appeared in a dream, and the angel had something else to tell him. The angel shows up in a dream and says, actually, God has other plans for you. So even Joseph, trying to plan things, but God had other plans for him. So my question for today is, how did Joseph find peace in the disruption of his plans? How did Joseph manage to reorder, reorganize his life around God's plan? In Proverbs 19, 21, we read, There are many plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's plan that will stand. That's Joseph's reality that he's dealing with. Well, three observations from the passage that we read together, just about Joseph and his character. Because I think if we understand his character, we'll understand how we, too, might have peace in the midst of changing plans. First of all, Joseph was open to the Spirit of God. This sounds like it's just a a platitude or a set answer. It's like the kids when you ask, you know, at the kids' story time, what was the name of the squirrel? And they answered Jesus. But it's more than that. This is incredibly important, so don't kind of gloss over this. Just how open Joseph was to the leading of the Spirit of God. He saw God come to him as a, in an angel, in a dream, and he paid attention to that. In fact, as we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is essential and prominent in the telling of that story. And sometimes in kind of our rush to get to Jesus and to get to the birth and to celebrate all that, we forget just how active the Holy Spirit is in all of this. We saw this with Simeon as well. Simeon was led by the Spirit to go to the temple at just the right time. And his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit allowed him to be included in this amazing moment. It's the same with Joseph. Just as the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of creation, so now the Holy Spirit is actively hovering over and participating in the new creation as Jesus comes on the scene. And so I want to pick that up as we go through this story of the birth of Jesus. But here's my point. Joseph paid attention. He paid attention. And that's not easy to do in times of grief and confusion. When we're thrown into times of grief and confusion or anger or hurt, it's very hard to pay attention to anything else, isn't it? And so can you imagine Joseph? He's, he's just heard that his, his wife-to-be is pregnant and he knows it's not him. But in the midst of this, there's something in his character that he pays attention to what God is saying to him. And that is so important and is so essential if we're going to find peace in the midst of confusion, in the midst of grief, in the midst of hurt, to pay attention to what God has to teach us in those moments. When plans change, God still wants to teach us something. He wants us to grow even during that time. How do we do that? Well, I think of Samuel in the Old Testament, and Samuel learned a phrase that he was supposed to say when he thought he might hear the voice of God. What was the phrase? Anybody know? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what I want to be my catchphrase for the next number of months. As we continue to go through uh, changes and plans that we make, like Justin alluded to in his prayer, that don't work out the way we want them to work out, I want to still say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What does God have for us in this time of disruption as plans change? He was open to God's spirit. And if we're closed to God's spirit, we will not be able to find peace in times of disruption. Okay, the second thing. He was unselfish. This is an amazing thing, and you, you might not pick up on it on the first reading. It says that Joseph was going to divorce her privately. Now that just sounds kind of disturbing to modern ears. I mean, poor Mary. She's caught in the middle of this too. And now Joseph is going to abandon her at her most you know, critical moment. What is he thinking? What a cruel man. And yet, if we understand the context, Joseph is actually being incredibly unselfish. The marriage process during that time uh, would be kind of three steps. There would be the step of the arrangement of the marriage. Joseph probably didn't pick Mary or date Mary or court Mary, but there's an arrangement of that marriage. And then there's a time period called the betrothal. It could last up to a year. It was a time of preparation, a time of purification as they got ready for the official marriage. And then there was the taking of the wife into your home. And that was the actual marriage part. This middle part, the betrothal part though, it wasn't just an engagement. You were considered legally bound to one another. And if something happened, like your spouse, like Mary in this instance, got pregnant during that time, it was basically under the law that you were required to put her away, to divorce her. And in fact, it was your right as a husband in order to make a spectacle of her, to shame her publicly, because that's how you retained your sense of integrity and your image within the, uh, the town or wherever you were, because you made sure that everybody knew it was her fault and not yours. But what does Joseph do? He doesn't want to shame Mary. He doesn't care so much about his own status or his own image. He cares deeply, I think, about Mary. And so he's just going to quietly do what is appropriate under the law, and that is divorce her, but not shame her. He's unselfish in this act. He gives up his right to preserve her dignity, it's like Jesus. And in fact, Joseph is, a, is kind of a, an image to us of Jesus. Jesus, who did not consider equality God, with God something to be grasped at, but he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And Joseph is doing something similar. He's willing to sacrifice his own image in order to preserve Mary's dignity. He was unselfish. And this sense of not holding on to his own ego allows him to find peace in times of disruption. Because I think that's part of the problem. When our plans change, when we make great plans, and we're so committed to it, and we believe in it so deeply, but then the plan doesn't come to pass, we feel it's an attack on our own image, on our own sense of who we are. And it makes it very difficult for us to find peace. Joseph teaches us to hold our plans kind of loosely. And in fact, to hold our own ego loosely as well. And we find that in Joseph. Well, the third thing, not only was he open to God's spirit and he was unselfish, but Joseph was obedient. When he woke up, he did what the angel commanded. What an amazing thing. And he didn't go with the law of the day. He didn't end up divorcing here. He did What the law of love required, he married Mary. Joseph understood the assignment. We see obedient faith in action when we look to Joseph. We've been doing the Paradox Project, having conversations around this book on Wednesday nights, and it's been great conversations, and I've learned a lot from it. Last week, we talked about the paradox of grace. This idea that grace is all about God, Our salvation is all of God, completely of God. And that salvation and that grace also expects an obedient life in response. And that's what we find in Joseph. This salvation story is all about God. And yet there's this expectation of obedience from Joseph. And that's what we see in his faith. But it's not a forced obedience. Because sometimes it feels weird to talk about obedience if we're talking about following Jesus. But it's not a forced obedience like a a slave to a taskmaster. And it's not a blind obedience of the brainwashed to a supreme leader. Instead, it's the obedience that comes from love. That's what we find in Joseph's story. That's the obedience that God calls us to because of his grace. In John chapter 14, we read, Jesus says, If you love me, do what? keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And do you know what? His commands are not burdensome. Why? Because his commands are rooted in love. What are the commands of God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have we heard this before in the last little while? This message keeps popping up and keeps popping up because I think it's the essential message for what we're going through right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this way, we fulfill the commands. That's what Joseph did. And because of his obedience, because he loved God and he loved Mary, he was able to adapt to the change in plans. Love carried him through. So Joseph, the husband of Mary, he doesn't stay in the story very long. Anybody notice that? He kind of drops off. Anybody curious about what happened to Joseph? Um, I'm sure somebody knows, but I don't. (laughs) Uh, Joseph just kind of drops off the story. There might be reasons for that, and the writer's not wanting to focus on him. Or he may have died. Who knows? But he leaves a legacy for us. His life was disrupted by the birth of Jesus, and yet he seems to have peace in the midst of his plans being reorganized. And that's because of his openness to the Spirit, and his unselfish attitude, and his obedient faith. These things empowered him to be able to say, like Jesus said later, not my will, but yours be done. That's the essential statement that we need to make when our plans are reordered. Joseph reminds us, as it says in Proverbs chapter 16, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. It's good to make plans. My mom will often say, Scott, make plans subject to change. And uh, that's the reality in which we deal with today. So let me ask you, how are your plans working out for you? How's it going this last couple of years? Uh, I know uh, for me that some of my plans have failed miserably. (laughs) And sometimes we get caught up in the midst of that. Some of them I think due to my own mistakes. Some of them due to circumstances beyond my control. But plans have changed, and change seems to be the constant over these last couple of years, especially. So I want to ask myself some questions this morning, and I invite you to do the same. What does God want me to learn during this time of disruption? I don't think God wastes any time. God doesn't waste hurt. God doesn't waste grief. God doesn't waste change of plans. He's always wanting us to grow up in maturity in Jesus Christ, to make us more and more like Jesus. What does God want me to learn? How can I become more like his son during this time of disruption? What part of my own ego do I need to release in order to find peace? What am I holding on to so tightly? My my image or perhaps my decision-making or whatever it is that I need to let go of and relax that so that I might find peace. And what simple acts of obedience can I accomplish as an expression of love for God, an expression of love for others, so that through obedience, we also might have peace. Joseph shows us that the path to peace is through obedient faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can come to you and know that you are actually the constant in all these things. Sometimes it feels like change is just continually happening, and yet we look to you as our rock and our fortress, the unchanging one who always loves us, is always faithful to us, and always shows up each and every day. So we look to you for strength during these days, and we look to you for peace. May you grant that to us in Jesus' name. Amen.